0: imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons Wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery.
1: You're listening to True Crime Feed. To true crime feed, I'm your host Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcasts from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Uh, I know you can probably tell I have a case of the sniffles, and I sound worse than Roseanne Barr singing the national anthem. But lucky for me, we're about to spend a whole lot of time with a doctor. Although, I'm not sure how much I trust this particular physician. Because on the docket today, we have a medical examiner turned murderer. Or was it? Get ready to experience some grade four level whiplash. Because your interpretation of this case is going to go from one extreme to the other. With every new piece of info I whip out. And to take your listening experience to the next level, go to the truecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. Key players this week are Dr. William Cybers and his wife, Kay Cybers. I came across this fascinating case a few years back on the Let's Go to Court podcast, Hosted by best friends Brandi Egan and Kristen Caruso. It's comedy plus true crime with a focus on interesting legal cases. What makes this show so cool is that you think you're tuning into some hilarious banter about true crime and you walk away learning tons about the legal system. It's kind of like when your mom would throw in some healthy green peas into your Velveeta mac and cheese. Let's Go to Court usually covers two cases per episode, giving you a little taste. Most of the time, that's all I need. But when it comes to the Dr. William Cyber's case, I'm going to need a much larger helping. And like I mentioned earlier, the theme of this story is whiplash. Seriously, I kind of want to keep a running tally going of how many times I've changed my mind on this case. So get ready to whip it and whip it good. We begin our story in the redneck Riviera of Panama City, Florida, a bustling beach city on the Florida panhandle, popular with spring breakers and retirees, and more than a few rowdy frat boys and old seniors would meet their demise and find their way onto the table of medical examiner Dr. William Cybers better known as Bill, to his friends and family. Bill Cybers first fell in love with the Florida Panhandle back when he was enlisted in the Navy during his 20s, and he always hoped to return one day. After completing his military service, Bill went to med school in his home state of Wisconsin. He worked in several hospitals around the Midwest, and during an internship in Iowa, he crossed paths with a lab technician named Kay they fell in love and got hitched in 1974 bill and Kay moved to panama city florida the couple had two children and then bill found work as a medical examiner running his own private forensic pathology practice called bay pathology and associates bill frequently worked with local hospitals and he wasn't just examining dead bodies he was also doing things like studying tissue samples for signs of cancer The general consensus was Bill was great at his job. So much so that eventually Dr. Bill Cybers was appointed by the state to be an official coroner. Usually the position of coroner is a part-time job, but Bill had an unusually full caseload because according to Florida state law at that time, if a person died for no obvious reason and they weren't under the care of a medical physician, then an autopsy was required to be performed. So between his private pathology practice and his work as coroner, Bill was doing very well for himself. He and Kay lived in a swanky beach house, they had a sweet boat, and they loved to go out and eat at nice restaurants. Life was good. Until the morning of May 30th, 1991, when Kay died unexpectedly at the age of 52. 52. Was this a tragic death from natural causes, or was Kay Cybers murdered? The night before her death, Kay was out to dinner with her husband, Bill. Other restaurant goers and their server would later recall that Bill and Kay seemed in good spirits, enjoying each other's company and sharing two bottles of wine, then leaving a big tip for their server. They left the restaurant and went home, From here, we only have Bill's account to go on. And according to Bill Cybers, his wife Kay woke up in the middle of the night complaining of a headache, chest pains, and allergy symptoms. Being a pathologist, Bill had syringes at home and he attempted to draw blood from Kay's arm, but he was unable to get a sample. At that point, her symptoms seemed to subside, so he bandaged Kay up, and got ready for work as per usual. On that day, he was on duty at the nearby Bay Medical Center, and he arrived at 7.30 a.m. And over the next two hours, he tried to call and check in on his wife, but she wasn't answering the phone, and Bill couldn't leave his post to go check on her. So at 9.30 a.m., Dr. Bill Cybers called an assistant at his office to go over to his house and check on his wife, Kay Cybers. Around 10 a.m., two of Bill's assistants arrived to his beach home. They opened the front door and called for Kay. There was no answer. They went upstairs to the bedroom and found Kay Cybers lying in bed unresponsive. They called 911 in an ambulance, and Sheriff quickly arrived to the scene. The paramedics did everything they could to revive Kay, but it was too late. There were already early signs of rigor mortis setting in, and Kay Cybers was pronounced dead at the scene. The medical examiner assistant called his boss Bill and gave him the bad news. Bill Cybers was in tears. His wife of over 20 years had died. Bill rushes home. The paramedics and sheriff have vacated the house at this point, but his two medical assistants are still there. Bill asks to go upstairs and be alone a few moments with his wife for the very last time. And now he's faced with the impossible decision. Should he comply with the state of Florida's recommendation that an autopsy be performed, which meant as the coroner of that jurisdiction, Bill would be the one tasked to perform the autopsy on his own wife. He walks back downstairs, clearly emotional and distraught over his wife's passing, but he's made up his mind. Bill Cybers tells his medical assistant that he has decided not to have an autopsy done on his wife. Instead, he asks his employee to call a funeral home and have his wife's body transported to the mortician so it could be embalmed and prepared for Kay's burial. A few hours later, Kay's body is on the mortician's table and word of her death spreads quickly in Panama City. Everyone is shocked to hear of her sudden passing, but most people don't suspect anything nefarious. Why should they? In fact, it only seems like one person is raising an eyebrow, Dr. Terrence Steiner. Dr. Steiner is also a forensic pathologist working in Panama City, and he took umbrage with the fact that an autopsy was not performed on Kay Cybers. After all, she was only 52 years old, and there was no clear apparent cause of death. So not only was an autopsy standard in cases like this, according to Dr. Steiner, it was required by law, a law Dr. Bill Cybers knew very well. So Dr. Terrence Steiner sounds the alarm, contacting the sheriff's department and the state's attorney, claiming that Bill Cybers broke the law by not performing an autopsy on his wife. And because of this, Terrence suspects that Bill Cybers murdered Kay. Law enforcement was hesitant to consider this a murder, but they agreed that, yes, an autopsy should have been performed. Kay was already embalmed at this point, but had not yet been buried. So the nearby Pensacola medical examiner's office took charge of her body and performed an autopsy as best they could, but it was nearly impossible to do any accurate chemical testing on the organs once the embalming fluid was present. So Kay Cyber's cause of death was marked as undetermined, triggering a further examination. Ooh, looks like we've got an investigation on our hands, folks. So let's retrace Bill's cyber steps, shall we? Were you like me, and the second you heard that Bill attempted to draw blood on his wife a few hours before she died, you were immediately like, whoop, nope, flag on the place, something ain't right here. I mean, I guess if you're a pathologist and you have syringes on hand and access to a lab, it might be common practice for you to draw blood on friends and family for testing, I guess. But my first knee-jerk thought was dude poisoned his wife. And being a pathologist slash coroner, he'd know exactly what to give her to make it look like a natural death. But after thinking a little more, I was like, actually, maybe he didn't do it. Because if Guy was going to poison her, wouldn't he do more to hide the needle mark and not leave this big, obvious bruise and bandage on Kay's arm? Instead, wouldn't he inject her in a hairline or under a toenail or something? Ugh, gross. Ugh, I should have mentioned this earlier. I'm wicked queasy around needles, blood, bodily fluids in general. So I'll do my best to get through this without Ralphing. But I am going to change my mind again, because how is an experienced doctor unable to get a successful blood draw? Pretty suspicious, Dr. Bill. But oh wait, yeah, I guess after a bottle of wine, Kay may have been dehydrated, which constricts the blood vessels, making a blood draw more difficult. On top of that, colleagues of Dr. Bill Cyber said he had the reputation of being a notoriously bad stick when it came to blood draws. Ew, seriously. I feel like I'm about to play cookie toss. But I do think we're getting somewhere. This could be an explanation for the failed blood draw. However, something about this whole thing reeks. Dr. Bill's actions the morning of his wife's death are smelling real fishy. I mean, your wife is complaining of chest pains, showing all the telltale classic signs of a heart attack, and you don't call 911? Instead you attempt to draw some blood to test your lab later, and then say oh well when you can't get a sample? Then simply go about your day leaving your distressed wife home alone? And a few hours later, she's found dead? I mean, come on. Either Bill killed her or he's completely incompetent, right? I mean, is there any other way to look at this? Close friends of Kay Cybers think there is. You see, the year leading up to her death, Kay was often complaining about chest pains and shooting aches and pangs in her arms. She would also lament about having high blood sugar and high blood pressure, all these complaints, and yet Kay refused to go to the doctors. She hated the thought of being poked at and prodded. Kay Cybers was very outspoken, and she made her opinions clear. After working in a hospital and being married to a medical examiner, she wanted nothing to do with doctors, hospitals, and especially never wanted to be on her husband Bill's table. She said these words on many occasions to friends and family. Anyone close to Kay knew this about her. There was even a time she was over at a friend's house playing bridge and she lost color in her face and started complaining of heart palpitations. One of her friends happened to be a nurse and took her blood pressure. She was alarmed and pleaded with Kay to see a doctor. But still, the stubborn Kay Cybers refused. I'm going to speculate a little bit here. Uh, Going to the doctors can be unpleasant for anyone. But Kay had a history of smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, and she was overweight. And these factors can make the experience of going to the doctors all the more uncomfortable. And these factors may also have contributed to her early demise. And perhaps Bill's actions the day that she died start to make a little more sense. Now we know it was common for Kay to complain of chest pains. And she probably didn't want her husband to call 911. Knowing her health history, Bill could have made the argument that she died of natural causes. And now Bill's refusal to perform an autopsy kind of seems like he's complying with Kay Cyber's wishes. And I didn't realize before this case how invasive autopsies are. The examiner literally pulls out all of your organs and weighs them looks at your tissues under a microscope, performs chemical testing on your organ fluids, and oh yeah, I think I'm gonna puke! Whoop, <laughs> no, false alarm. But that was a close one. I'm definitely starting to feel the effects of all this whiplash. But now I gotta say, I am firmly on the side of K-Cyber's Died of Natural Causes. After all, Bill had no reason to kill his wife, Right? Well, as it turns out, Dr. Bill Cybers was having a long-time affair with his co-worker, Judy Ray. She was also a lab technician at the hospital, and uh, Bill seems to have a type. The months leading up to Kay Cybers' death, Bill called Mistress Julie Ray 180 times, including the morning of Kay's death. Dr. Bill Cybers left his home around 7 a.m. and called Judy on his way to work. On his car phone! Kids, ask your parents. It may sound lame now, but back in the 90s, especially the early 90s, a car phone was one of the most baller things you could have. Yes, the clarity and reception wasn't great, and they drain your car's battery. But still, aside from rocking a pair of L.A. gear high tops... You couldn't get any cooler than having a phone in your car, brah. Shortly after Kay Cybers dies, Bill starts dating Judy out in the open. Three years later, they get married. Oh boy, not a great look for Dr. Bill. An affair does not a murderer make, but in this case, it could have been a motive. Maybe Bill really wanted to start a new life with his love, Judy and needed to get Kay out of the way. Ugh, I'm not fully ready to switch sides, but I'm getting pretty close to pulling off my jersey, Dr. Bill. So why don't we check in with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement? Their case against Bill fizzles out pretty quick. There's definitely suspicion building around Dr. Bill Cybers. But like I said earlier, the Pensacola Medical Examiner lists Kay's cause of death as undetermined. And it's pretty hard to try a murder case when there's no proof that a murder took place. But what about that syringe that Bill used on Kay the day she died? Testing that would help clear things up one way or another. So where's that syringe anyway? Ugh, as it turns out, Bill claims he threw the syringe away in a dumpster across the street from his house. I don't know, man. You're looking real sus to me now, Bill. But he's claiming this whole thing is a witch hunt. All these accusations are ridiculous, and if Dr. Bill Cybers wanted to kill his wife and cover it up, he would have had Kay's body cremated. Fair enough. At this point, we've got a lot of bad looks, but nothing concrete to go on. So the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the state's attorney, Jim Applebaum, they drop the case. Kay Cybers's body was buried, and everyone seemed to move on with their lives. Everyone except Dr. Terrence Steiner. Your boy Terrence won't let this one go. He takes it all the way to the governor's office. And surprisingly, Governor Lawton Childs agrees with Dr. Terrence Steiner in a shocking twist. He removes state's attorney Jim Applebaum from the case and reassigns it to another state's attorney from Jacksonville named Harry Shorstein. This was the first time in Florida history that a state's attorney was removed from a case by a sitting governor. And Harry Shorstein requests that Kay's body be exhumed for further examination. I don't know, this all seems a little extra, fellas. What new evidence could they possibly find? Well, plenty, as it turns out. A tissue sample from Kay's body was sent off to the toxicology lab of Dr. Kevin Ballard. And he found traces of succinylcholine, a drug that was commonly used to paralyze patients for surgery. Proof that Kay cybers was poisoned. Plus, there's the whole time-of-death issue. When paramedics came onto the scene that day, shortly after 10 a.m., Kay's body was showing signs of rigor mortis. So the new medical investigation, they take into account that the AC was running in the bedroom and determine the time of death was anywhere from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., which means it was possible that Bill Cybers was still home and present when Kay passed away. And under the direction of state's attorney, Harry Shorstein, investigators dig even deeper. They re-interview witnesses and employees at Bill's pathology practice. As it turned out, Bill Cybers had a naughty little habit of dispensing medications to friends, family, and employees. And I'm not talking your run-of-the-mill allergy med. I'm talking diet pills and Valium. And to be clear, Bill wasn't selling these drugs for profit, but he was handing them out like Halloween candy without giving people a proper examination. And Dr. Bill Cybers was also allowing his assistants to perform medical examinations without Bill being present. None of these particular actions were deemed to be criminal, but Bill faced sanctions from the medical board after this news came out. After a thorough re-examination in 2001, 10 years after his wife's death, the now-retired Dr. Bill Cybers was indicted for first-degree murder. Now we're at the trial, a.k.a. the whiplash lightning round. All Opening arguments, prosecutor Harry Shorstein says that Bill Cybers killed his wife so he could marry his longtime mistress and keep all of his money. You see, old Bill was sitting on a nice little nest egg of over $6 million, and he was getting ready to retire. If he divorced Kay, he'd lose half of his life savings. So the prosecution argued that Bill Cybers used his medical expertise to murder his wife, make it look like an accident, then abused his power as state's coroner to cover his tracks. And there's proof of this murder based on the discovery of succinylcholine in Kay's tissue. Whew, strong opening act. But now let's hear from defense attorney John Daniel. John Daniel claims that the prosecution has this all wrong and they're basing guilt on nothing more than personal vendettas, political ambitions, and junk science. And he goes down this list point by point, starting with the very person who sounded the alarm in the first place, Dr. Terrence Steiner. Oh no, you guys, did I forget to mention that forensic pathologist Dr. Terrence Steiner used to be business partners with Dr. Bill Cybers until they had a major falling out resulting in a long, contentious lawsuit that was only settled a mere 15 months before Kay's untimely death? Oopsie, sorry I left that out. I really biffed it. Like I said, I'm not on my A-game today, and all this extreme back-and-forth whiplash ain't helping. (laughs) But now we know Dr. Terrence Steiner clearly had a personal beef with Dr. Bill Cybers this whole time, which makes Bill look a lot less guilty. However, said lawsuit cost Bill Cybers a jacuzzi load of money. Now he's looking at a possible costly divorce if Kay finds out about his affair, which strengthens the motive for him to kill his wife. But defense attorney John Daniel isn't done arguing. He claims it was not Bill Cybers abusing his position of power, but instead accused prosecutor Harry Shorestein of abusing his position as state's attorney, taking on this case for political purposes after three other state's attorneys passed on it. Huh, pretty sick burn, John Daniel. But we still have that whole pesky presence of succinylcholine found in Kay's system. How are you going to argue your way out of that one, bud? Well, next, defense attorney John Daniel calls his own toxicology expert to the stand. And this expert witness testifies that succinylcholine is not some random foreign substance that proves a poisoning occurred. Instead, it's a commonly found compound found in decomposing bodies as a result of changing chemical reactions when tissues break down. The expert witness goes on to say that Dr. Kevin Ballard's methods look more like a bizarre science fair project than accepted testing from the medical community. In fact, Dr. Kevin Ballard was facing scrutiny in another case where he claimed murder by poisoning based on the presence of succinylcholine, a case that resulted in a conviction, but was later overturned, citing Dr. Kevin Ballard's findings were faulty. So, points for creative storytelling, Dr. Ballard, but zero for accuracy. Alright, so what does the family think of all this? Well, Bill and Kay's daughter testifies at the trial in defense of her father, confirming that yes, it was absolutely common for her dad to drop blood on family members. She also confirmed her mother's stubborn stance against going to the doctor's. Bill's daughter said her dad behaved exactly as she would have expected him to the day her mother died. As for Bill's son, he did not testify and he wasn't present at the trial because, tragically, he took his own life after telling friends he couldn't live with the thought that his father may have murdered his mother. I know. That point hit me the hardest. More than any other detail, this one made me think that Bill really did kill Kay. But the jury wasn't privy to that piece of information. And yet, they still found Dr. Bill Cybers guilty of first-degree murder. He was given the sentence of 25 years to life. I know, I was shocked, too. Even though at this point I was kind of leaning towards maybe he did it, I'm also thinking no way is there enough evidence to prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And the Florida Court of Appeals, they didn't think so either. Two years after his conviction, Bill's conviction was overturned on the basis that Dr. Kevin Ballard's findings were junk science. But you guys, state's attorney Harry Shorstein still wanted another bite at the apple. And was prepared to retry Dr. Bill Cybers. Based on what evidence, I have no idea. Dr. Bill Cybers hired Alan Dershowitz's brother, Nathaniel Dershowitz, to represent him. I think a new trial would have been a slam dunk for Bill Cybers. In fact, in 2003, when Jeb Bush was the governor, he appointed a special prosecutor to investigate State's Attorney Harry Shorestein's conduct during the Bill Cybers case. So the odds were definitely in Bill's favor, but for some reason, he decided to plead guilty to manslaughter. The state accepted his plea, and he was sentenced to time served. Bill had already spent two years in prison and spent nearly all of his life savings on this trial. So Bill was just probably tired of fighting. On top of everything else, shortly after finishing his two years in the state prison... Dr. Bill Cybers was diagnosed with lung cancer. He left Panama City and moved six hours away to Clearwater Beach. And after a long battle with lung cancer, Bill Cybers passed away in 2014 at the age of 81. I know, this case ends up getting really, really sad, and I am feeling all whipped out. The let's go to court ladies had an interesting take on this. They laid out the theory that maybe Bill had suspicion that his wife was having a heart attack, but chose to do nothing. It's an interesting idea. And after getting all of this info, I still haven't made up my mind. I've seriously gone back and forth on this one so many times. I feel like a chew toy in a French bulldog's mouth. I will say whether he did it or not, I do not believe justice was done for K-Cyber's. This investigation only made things worse. It went against her personal beliefs and only did further harm to her children. There is one thing, though, I do feel certain about. It's probably best to avoid having your spouse die under mysterious circumstances if you're having an affair. But if I do ever come across a story like Bill Cyber's again... I'll be sure to strap myself into a three-point harness and neck brace to protect against another case of serious whiplash. Ugh, we got through it. That was the case of the maybe killer coroner. Where did you end up landing at the end of this? And also, is this not the wildest case of true crime whiplash you've ever experienced? Or do you have another one that tops it? Let me know. You can email me directly at Angela at the truecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Stay tuned till after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Ah, <sighs> Hey, you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we're back. Before we start the ranking, I mentioned last week that I was excited to check out I'm Not a Monster season two and the Great Post Office Trial after I saw them trending on the top 100 charts. But I realized these shows and a bunch of others on the top 100 right now are actually old shows currently trending because of year end top lists. And I want to try to stick to newly released shows in the power ranking. But lucky for us, there's a bevy of them out right now. In fact, I don't even have a miss this week. I actually have four shows. I'm really excited about and want to share with you. So without further ado, here are the four shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. Four, three, two, one. At the number four spot, we have My Fugitive Dad. Here's a synopsis from the show page. Ashley's dad was her favorite person in the world. He drove fast cars and sold them for a living. He was a scratch golfer and the love of her mom's life. Ashley thought she knew him better than anyone. But at 38 years old, she found out that he wasn't who he said he was. Inspired by his favorite movie, The Thomas Crown Affair, he had pulled off a robbery in Cleveland and then disappeared. It turns out he evaded the authorities for half a century living in their sleepy Massachusetts town. This is a cool one so far. Episode one has me hooked. I never saw the Steve McQueen version of the Thomas Crown Affair, but I love the Pierce Brosnan one. And so far, I'm getting those same tantalizing vibes from my fugitive dad. At the number three spot, we have Witnessed Fade to Black. Here's a reminder from the show page. When L.A. screenwriter Gary Devereaux mysteriously disappears in the summer of 1997, weird coincidences lead family and friends to believe he may have been the victim of foul play, possibly because of his mysterious ties to the CIA. Gary was on his way home from finishing his latest script, which was allegedly going to be based in part on real events that occurred during the American invasion of Panama. And that script vanished along with him and his vehicle. Last week, I was totally on board with Gary's widow's theories, but this latest episode, I'm not so sure... I mean, I get how she got here, and if I were the grieving widow, I wouldn't want to believe my husband was dead either, but yikes, things are starting to go off the rails. This show is feeling like Whiplash, the sequel, and I have no idea what side I'm going to end up on after this journey through Witnessed Fade to Black. At the number two spot, we have Carrie Jade Does Not Exist. Here's a summary from the show page. Carrie J. Does Not Exist is the story of how one woman who took on over six different identities infiltrated the lives of vulnerable people and lied her way into gaining their trust this six-part series hosted by sue perkins and journalist katherine dankinson will tell the story of how carrie built up a picture-perfect persona and scammed her way into the literary world until she finally got tangled up in her very own web of lies you guys this one is narrated by sue perkins from the great british baking show Just the sound of her voice immediately, I'm relaxed and enjoying the ride. Plus, this story is nuts. I remember hearing a little about this viral story of a disabled woman who was a host on Airbnb and claimed some of her guests were suing her because of her disability, and I vaguely remember the whole thing turned out to be a hoax, but then I totally forgot about it. But that person is the subject of this show. I love it so far, and I think you will too, so check out Carrie Jade Does Not Exist. And at the number one spot, we have Mortal Sin. Here's a synopsis from the show page. Dawn and Nick Hackney are the perfect couple. Spiritual, loving, and devoted to the church where Nick is pastor. When Dawn is killed in a house fire the day after Christmas, the pastor and his flock are devastated. What few knew at this time was the dark prophecy that foretold it. The latest podcast from Dateline and Josh Makowitz is about sex, lies, religion, and murder. Oh God, this is so good. Sometimes I feel like such a basic B for loving these Dateline shows so much, but I can't help it. I totally love it. Even though my man Keith Moe isn't at the helm, Josh Makey is holding his own so far, especially during some cringeworthy, binge-worthy interviews. This show is highly addictive, so pod forgive me for indulging so hard on mortal sin. Find out next week if Mortal Sin will continue to hang tight in the number one spot as the series continues or if a new show will swoop in and take its place. And let me know what shows are trending in your top four. I'll meet you back here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. For today's true crime feed don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where i post links to my top three sometimes four favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode be sure to follow the show on instagram twitter and facebook to join the conversation And if you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment and leave a review. Tell your fellow partners in crime to tune in to True Crime Feed. It really is a huge help to grow the show and it means the world to me. So thank you so much for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding.